Hills presents Intellivision. Intelligent television by Mattel. More sophisticated than any video game that has come before. Providing hours of entertainment for the entire family. Intellivision, with one of the clearest game displays available today. Find this system, plus a complete line of sports and video game cassettes at Hills, where our game is low prices every day. Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 283. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I hope all you dads out there have recovered from the hangover of Father's Day last weekend. I am, uh, at full disclosure, I'm actually recording this on Father's Day. I thought I could sleep in today and relax, or I could put together a podcast for the tens of people out there who listen to this podcast. And that's what I decided to do. Although, in fuller disclosure, I am uh, enjoying a lovely jelly donut while I record, which of course is a a no-no. But you know what? I'm a dad, and I make the rules that no one follows. So that's what I'm doing. Here, I'm taking a bite right now. Mmm-mm. Carbs and sugar. Mmm. A little bit of coffee to wash that down. This week's episode is brought to you by Jelly Donuts of America. Oh man, I wish. A box of donuts would show up every so often. That'd be awesome. So anyway, uh, happy late Father's Day to you guys out there. Uh, you dads out there. Not a whole lot going on this week. Uh, absolutely nothing going on in the world. We got some feedback from Michael Tyler, Patreon supporter Michael Tyler. Thanks for that, Michael, and thanks for your comment, which was referring to Night Stalker. This is by far one of my favorite Intellivision games, and hopefully the Amico version will be pretty good. Thank you for that. Uh, do let me know if the Amico version is good, you or anyone else, because I'm curious. I'm a curious guy, is what I'm saying. Thanks for the feedback. So we go now live, not really, to the Statler and Waldorf to my Mumpet Show, this guy. Question! What does Jason say? He says stuff! What does Jason say? What's a stuff? In this week's Jason Says Stuff segment, he takes me to task for last week having done a cold read of his uh, entry for last week, which I did. I had not read it until I read it live, again, so to speak, on the podcast, because that's just the way it goes sometimes. Uh, This one, this week's entry, I have read ahead of time, and he is correct. One of the things that I was confused about, although, to be fair, I wasn't criticizing him for having made a mistake. I was criticizing myself for not remembering what he was talking about. Um, And it turns out we were both mistaken, but we'll get there in a second. Dear Atari Bytes, Firstly, I wish my spot didn't get a preliminary read while being recorded. Well, as I said, that just kind of happens. However, he says, I assume you're especially busy with an injured family member and the tedious negotiations with Bugs' legal representatives and agents. Yeah, you know, being a a big-time podcaster, uh, it looks great on the surface, looks like it's all fun and games, but there's all the machinations going on backstage and the jockeying and the, uh, you know, the backdoor deals and and, uh, whatnot. Money flows through here like, like a river of candy. I'm not sure a river of candy would actually flow, especially if it was like Jolly Ranchers or something. I think it just kind of, you dump them in the riverbed and they just kind of lay there, you know? I suppose if it was like a river of uh, whatever that liquid is, that sugar water that they put in those uh, wax cylinders, I guess that kind of candy would flow. Anyway, what was I talking about? I'm high on caffeine and jelly donut right now, by the way. I should remind you. Let's see. What was he saying? Oh, injured family members. 
Yes, Henry's still hopping around on his boot, uh, but he's doing better. I'll go to the doctor here in the next, uh, I think, a few days after you're hearing this episode uh, to see how the, the healing is going. Uh, hopefully he'll be good to go pretty soon. Um, I know his family wishes he could get out and run a little bit more, and I'm sure he does too. So I won't dwell on the collateral damage this caused, meaning my cold read causing any confusion. Jason explains, I had mistakenly typed Milton instead of Merlin, which I corrected moments later, but unfortunately it didn't make it to the show, and fans from the, both the USA and New Zealand were left wondering what the hell I was talking about. Uh, he is correct. Last week I, I read uh, he was talking about uh, the Merlin handheld device, but he said Milton, and I couldn't, uh, in the moment, I couldn't figure out what he was referring to. Uh, here's the thing. When you do a weekly podcast, you do the show and it's great and everything, and then oftentimes after you record it, you pretty much forget everything you said because you've already moved on to the next one. So I had, I, and as I said, I didn't blame you, Jason. I was blaming myself for just not remembering some Milton thing that you had talked about. But of course, you were referring to the Merlin handheld games from our youth. Awesome device. Kind of wish I had one, actually, just for nostalgia reasons. Jason, uh, thankfully at this point, moves along. And I know that because he writes, moving along, comparing the coming of Jason says stuff to the rocket guy. Uh, that'd be Mike Hughes, I assume he's referring to. Uh, the, the late Mike Hughes, rest in peace. Comparing uh, Jason says stuff to the rocket guy is rather interesting. You guys will remember I did a segment for a while on the podcast following the exploits of uh, Mad Mike Hughes, as he called himself, who was ostensibly a flat earther. Although the more you read about the guy and the more you hear him, uh, it seemed less like he was necessarily a, a devout flat earther. Uh, he was perhaps a skeptic, maybe. I think it's more likely he was just like, the Flat Earth people are willing to fund my uh, hobby of building these rockets in my backyard. And that's a thing I like to do. So if they want me to say, yeah, the Earth could be flat, I'll say it. Uh, so he was ostensibly trying to build a rocket that would lift him up into the uh, lower atmosphere, uh, theoretically so that he would be high enough in the air to snap some photos of the Earth that would prove that it's actually flat. A while ago, gosh, I don't know, a year ago, he uh, was testing one of these rockets and unfortunately crashed and died. Um, so that was the end of that segment. So Jason thinks that comparing him to the rocket guy is rather interesting. I don't know that I really was, other than you both fill a segment at the beginning of my show. If my listeners see any uh, similarities between a, a goofy flat earther with some strange ideas and a Trumpian gamer with some goofy ideas, uh, yeah, I, I can't control that. Just kidding, Jason. We're all friends here. So he thinks the comparison, if there is one, uh, is interesting. Jason says he, meaning Hughes, died bravely doing died bravely doing what he was passionate about, and I guess that is a very badass way to go. I'll give that to you, Jason. It is going out on your doing what you what you love is not such a bad way to go uh jason says my grandfather died while straining on the toilet so when i compare the deaths the rocket man is clearly the winner well you're not wrong there but on the other hand dead is dead and you've got a sort of darkly humorous story uh your family does to tell forever so there's that jason continues Although I think the Rocket Man was sort of like the odd character that brought a certain sort of strangeness to the show, and I think that I'm more than that. Well, certainly, Jason, we're all more than the sum of our parts. Jason says, uh, I can see that I can see that element, of course, but I also think that my contribution is sort of like adding a ghost pepper to a rather non-spicy dish. Although the concept of being consumed by the biters seems a bit disturbing. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Rem I'm having a little trouble with this part of your contribution today, Jason, because I don't remember really ever comparing you. I don't think I brought up Mike Hughes. I think you did. You made the comparison yourself, not me. But anyway, uh, moving on, as it were. Jason says, you mentioned that the room in my modest home was the game room and that, and then mentioned that I call it an office and then jokingly said that it doesn't seem like I get a lot of work done there. To be fair, uh, I don't know. Well, actually, what I said was that you probably don't get a lot of work done there. Jason says the most correct nomenclature for the room would actually be Jason's multi-purpose room, since it holds my desk and computer system, but also gym equipment and game systems, and a healthy rock memorabilia collection. 
so in future videos I will call it my multi-purpose room. That's fair. And honestly, Jason, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it Becky if you want. I, I don't care. Uh, that actually reminds me, though. You, you did in your video, which I put a link in the show notes last week for, you can see some of your rock memorabilia. But I don't remember if you mentioned if you actually play the guitar, I think, that we saw in the video. Are you in a band? Have you ever been in a band? Uh, what kind of music do you like to play? Doo-wop, perhaps? Doo-wop! I think the fans really want to know, Jason. Jason concludes. Nope, sorry, he's not concluding. But his next paragraph is, Finally, you were also astounded by the systems all being at perfect right angles. Yes, what else Yes, what else could be done? Well, that's fair. But I'm looking at my uh, relatively modest setup here, and they're all you know, lined up on a shelf, a couple of shelves, and, but they're not perfectly straight like yours. They're also a lot dustier. So uh, points for that as well. You're very tidy, at least in your multi-purpose room. Jason says, there are like 13 systems. If I was to place them willy-nilly, it would look atrocious. So I make no apologies for my desire to be organized. No, no criticism here, Jason. In addition to being funny, clever, and abundantly charming. That's Jason, not me. I collect all sorts of things. Comic books, movies, books, etc. And considering my home is average, therefore I need to be, able, I need to be super organized for space, space management. I envy people like that. Uh, Sean, hi Sean, comes to mind. Uh, he's mentioned frequently in comments, posts that he's done in various social medias and things, as things come up, about how he lives in an apartment uh, with his wife and his dog, and they have a finite amount of space. So he, it sounds like, he and his wife are very good about prioritizing. Okay, this is a thing that fits in our space. It stays. This thing, we like this thing, but it doesn't fit in our space, so it goes. My family... There's four of us, plus a dog. Also live in a, a, an average space, but instead of uh, prioritizing, we just keep piling more stuff. So if you come to our house, God help you, because you're probably going to trip over something. So uh, I envy people that can make those prioritizations, because uh, our family seems to be unable to do that. Jason says, I don't know the ratings or downloads that Atari Bytes typically gets, I don't either. I should look at that sometime. But I imagine that it, that it improved with my arrival, and that can only mean one thing. The expansion of Biter Nation. Further, Tron Deadly Discs, hey, that's the game we're playing this week, was one of my earliest recommendations to the show. I knew I'd heard it somewhere. I can't remember where I'd heard it. And Jason says, I think this could only be a good thing. The more Jason you get, the better you feel. Mm, again, I'm going to leave that up to the listeners. Jason concludes... I won't do a story, since I really could, couldn't do a Deadly Disc story without plagiarizing The Beauty Which Is Tron. So for this week, I'll get into The Beauty Which Is Tron in a few minutes. Uh, Jason says, for, so for this week, you just get my brilliant commentary, and as always, feel the burn. I still have to say what kind of inflection to put on that. I, you know, I just did a feel the burn. I don't know if I like that. It could be more like a feel the burn. Yeah, that's okay. Or maybe a, uh, feel the burn. I don't know. I'll work on it. Or probably not. Question. What does Jason say? He says stuff. What does Jason say? Lots of stuff. What does Jason say? Or maybe a little stuff. What does Jason say? He says stuff. Jason says stuff in the Dory Bites exclusive. All right. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... It's our final game for the Intellivision, for Intellivision Month 2021. It's Tron, Deadly Discs, from Mattel Electronics, 1982. Although, that's when my research, huh, funny, that's funny, research, said that it came out in 82. But when I put in the game for the field report, which, spoiler, I've already done, it, the title screen actually said 1981. But it also said, had two copyrights. It was Tron, uh, 1981 for Mattel. In 1981 for Disney. So I wonder if the 1981 date is actually just tied to the movie, whereas the game copyright actually is 82. Don't really know. So, Tron Deadly Discs is for color TV viewing only. You people still had a black and white TV in 1981 or 82, we're out of luck. This one is for the Intellivision Intelligent Television. It's for one player. So again, if you were an Intellivision player with friends and a color TV... And with friends and a black and white TV, well, you were screwed. You have to actually talk to each other. 
The object of the game is to score points by knocking out computer-controlled attackers with flying discs. Your task is to bring your man, Tron, safely through battle after battle. Attacking warriors are also armed with destroyer discs. They'll come at Tron in wave after wave of three against one. You get them or they'll get Tron. Game difficulty increases dramatically in the later stages. 100,000 points is a good score. A million points are entirely possible. Although, not by me, perhaps. If anyone listening has gotten a million points in a television Tron, let me know. And also, I want to know how long it took you. Slide the Tron Deadly Disk overlay onto the hand controller frames so they cover the keypad. Insert the game in the computer console, uh, computer console cartridge slot. See owner's instructions for equipment connection details. We're not using the side buttons for this one. There are three buttons in a row at the top which select your game speed for slow, slower, and slowest, which they are not lying about because when I was messing with the speed settings, if you don't do anything, if you don't push any of the buttons, it just kind of feels like it's kind of an average speed, although it picks up a little bit as the game goes on. If you push any of the buttons, it's like walking through molasses. Um, It is, like, frustratingly slow. Uh, So I didn't do that. I just used whatever the regular speed is. On the left-hand side, there are three buttons down the uh, left side uh, that are your directional fire buttons. It tells your little ball, little disc, where to go, which way to go. Uh, In the center, there's a block button to block the discs that are coming at you. The directional disc, this gets very confusing, on your controller, the big disc in the lower half of the controller, that controls which way your guy moves, which way Tron moves. Uh, And as I said, the side buttons are not used. Press the button to throw the disc in a specific direction, upper, right, lower, left, etc. Watch the arrows on your keypad overlay. If the disc is in the air after a miss, press any fire button again and the disc will return faster which I forgot about when I was playing. That would be handy. Press the fire button, uh, press the button to switch Tron from moving mode to blocking mode, using a shield to block warriors destroyer discs. You can switch to blocking only when Tron is holding this disc. Pressing the block with the disc in flight will make Tron crouch and duck the warrior discs. Um, we talked about the skill levels. Uh, as the game starts, Tron can stand three hits from a wave of warrior attacks. Warriors destroyed by a disc from Tron will replace themselves every 10 seconds, unless the grid is cleared by destroying the whole wave of three warrior attacks. When a new wave of three attackers appears, Tron can again take at least three hits. In addition, Tron, Bulldogs, and Dards recover from hits on a time basis. And the Bulldogs are not, as far as I can tell, literal Bulldogs. That's just a name, I guess. They recover and continue to recover from each hit every four seconds until the maximum level is reached, or that particular combatant is destroyed, or, parentheses, de-rezzed. At higher point totals, Tron can stand extra hits. After 20,000 points, Tron can take 4 hits. After 100,000 points, Tron can stand 5 hits. I was not in danger of approaching 100,000 points when I was messing around with the game today. Taking hits slows down any fighter, Tron or any of his attackers. Uh, so you hit the reset to start the game, press the disc, uh, or, or any button and the action begins. You move around with the disc, press the keypad buttons to direct where you're going to shoot or throw your disc. Blocks count the same as destroying a warrior. Their discs are normally blue. I think I mentioned in the field report that they look more purple on my screen. You get points by destroying or de-rezzing computer-controlled attackers by hitting them with the yellow disc from Tron. You also get points by blocking the warrior's blue, or on my screen, purple, discs with a shield raised by Tron. That means pressing the block key to switch into blocking mode. You get bonus points for clearing the grid of attackers. Tron must destroy all three attackers before they are replaced. Bonus earned is five times the warrior value at that stage of the game. Bonus points are also earned from knocking out the recognizer. When higher point totals are earned, 20,000 and 100,000, Tron can stand extra hits. You have a better chance to reach higher scoring levels because Tron has a better chance to last longer in the combat. After 20,000 points are earned, Tron can stand 4 hits instead of 3. After 100,000, 5 hits instead of 4. Warrior point score table ranges from 50 points up to 10,000. Blocks count the same as destroying a warrior. Bonus 5 times warrior value for clearing the board. Bonus 10 times the warrior value for knocking out the recognizer. The light blue warriors are the normal rank and file. One hit knocks them out. The purple warriors are the bulldog warriors. Oh, okay. Maybe I was just seeing a lot of purple bulldog warriors. I don't know, but they all seem to be purple on my screen. Takes two hits to destroy them. The dark blue warriors are the leaders. Uh, Just one hit destroys them, but with a leader on the grid, all warriors react quicker and shoot straighter. 
So I guess they're like the stormtroopers, except when Darth Vader's on screen, they actually shoot better. Is that the idea? The orange warriors are guards. After one million points, computer switches tactics. Instead of trying to destroy Tron with discs, orange guards enter the action. It takes four hits to knock out a guard. Orange guards carry your white paralyzer sticks. Your Tron is touched by a white stick, he's captured, and game is over. Of course, after scoring more than a million Tron points, you've already racked up a fantastic score. They're trying to make you feel better, I guess. The doors. Open, shut, jammed, open. Doors open when, uh, and I think they're basically along the top of the screen. Doors open whenever warriors enter to join the battle against Tron. Doors shut automatically whenever warriors are replaced by the next set of warriors. Doors can be jammed open by Tron in two ways. By making Tron run into the center of the door opening, by hitting the any door center with a tr uh, disc. When doors are jammed open directly across from one another, try a surprise fast exit. Move Tron in one door out the other. I was never really able to time line it up so that I, I could do this, but it sounds kind of cool. Successfully execute a teleport and Tron will automatically recover one hit. The Recognizer. Here's a good news and bad news situation. The good news. Knock out the Recognizer and you win big bonus points. Ten times the warrior value total. The bad news is if Tron touches the Recognizer, the game is over. What's more, the Recognizer is hard to destroy. The only way to knock out the Recognizer and win bonus points is to score a direct hit on his eye with the Disc of Tron. The eye is white. I think the dude basically looks like the other dudes, except he's got this white eye. So you gotta watch for that. The white eye and the recognizer will start to spark, stop, and sink out of sight. You've won bonus points. The recognizer comes on to repair jammed doors with a black beam. Beam is harmless to Tron. Recognizer's eye will turn white just before the black beam appears. Kidoke. As soon as the recognizer stops, he sends out a rec uh, paralyzer probe. Probe will go after Tron. If Tron gets touched by the probe, Tron is stopped cold and cannot move again until the recognizer is finished unjamming the open doors. Repairs finished, uh, recognizer and probe leave, and Tron is freed again. Uh, this is another game where it talks about using both the hand controllers. You can work the wheel with one hand, move Tron, and work the fire direction keys with the other hand, fire Tron discs, only one controller at a time. That seems, uh, the Night Stalker I think last week talked about that too. That just seems complicated to me. I haven't tried to do it, but I can't imagine trying to look at figure out where your hands are in two different discs and look at the screen and play this game. That just seems goofy. You're goofy in television. Uh, winning tips. Use both hand controllers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep one finger on the switch button. Be set to make Tron crouch and duck a warrior disc. Practice blocking. Always keep an open door behind you for emergencies. Watch out for the recognizer and keep Tron moving. To start a new game, press the reset button. And that is how you play Tron Deadly Discs from Mattel and Disney. Don't forget Disney. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. The initial game design for Tron Deadly Discs was done by Don Daglow, further design and programming by Steve Sentz. The first of three in television games based on the Disney motion picture Tron, and Mattel released an Atari 2600 version under its M Network label, also ported to the Mattel Aquarius. A remake called Tron Deadly Discs has been announced for release on the Intellivision Amico. So I assume it's probably a thing now. If anyone's played it, let me know. The Tron Wiki says that this game should not be confused with Discs of Tron, the arcade name. I don't know how they're different. The wiki says that, ironically, in the Intellivision version, Tron appears red, or in my strain, orange, which is the normal color for Sark and the Warrior Elite programs working for the MCP, while the enemy Warrior programs mostly appear in shades of blue, which is the normal color for the User Believer programs. 
The Atari 2600 version of the game, as well as Adventures of Tron, were released in a package that included a special joystick controller that resembled the one from the Tron arcade game. It was also re-released by Telegames USA as simply Deadly Discs, without the Tron reference. The game was re-released as Deadly Discs on the Intellivision 10 second edition plug-and-play system. A version of the game called Deadly Dogs was included as an easter egg in the Intellivision version of Namto's arcade game Dig Dug, with the warriors on the screen replaced by hot dogs from Data East Birder Time. To access the game, press keys 4 and 7 on both keypad controllers simultaneously and press the reset button on the television console. If anyone's done that, let me know. NTV Funhouse calls this game one of those games where the gameplay really carries the game. It works even better if you're ambidextrous enough to use one controller to run and the other to shoot. Graphics are by and large pretty basic, but the D-Res effect when you strike down an opponent is pretty good. I didn't really mention it in the field report, but it is kind of cool when you sh hit the other opponent, they just kind of dissolve into little uh, atoms, basically. That's kind of cool. And I do think the characters on the screen, the sprites or whatever, look pretty good. NTV Funhouse says that the sound effects used when you block an opponent's disc are also excellent. The graphics of Recognizer are kind of plain, but the bad and the bad guys are just simple and television running men, but this game has staying power. Old School Gamer Magazine describes a bug uh, that the game had initially. A player named Stephen Little discovered this bug and wrote to Intellivision to describe it, saying, Once you are able to open the top left and top right doors, which enables you to go in one door and not the other, just step out the right top the right top or left top doors and stay there. 90% of the enemy discs go through you and your man is not hit or destroyed. He then described how the bug could be used to rack up points. Once you reach close to a million points, don't destroy any more warriors. Just hold your disc in the block mode and break discs. If you do get hit, just go back and forth for repair. I went from a million to, 15, or to 10 million with no problem. So I don't know if that bug ever got fixed. This article doesn't say. The article says the game was developed and published by Mattel and under development at the same time as the movie. Mattel gambled on the belief that the film would be a box office smash and produced 800,000 copies to meet anticipated demand. Sadly, the film floundered and only 300,000 copies of the Tron Deadly Disc were sold. But the game has maintained a steady base of fans over the years. HeyPoorPlayer.com observes that of the trilogy of games, Deadly Discs has long been regarded as the best and was a game I very much enjoyed on the rival Atari 2600 as a youngster. While it's the 2600 version of Deadly Discs that holds all the nostalgic memories for me, the original Intellivision iteration is without doubt the best one to play. Graphically, it's very nice, from the pseudo 3D styled arena to the well animated sprites. The throw of your disc unfortunately sounds akin to a wet fart, but all the other effects are decent enough. I guess the other two parts of the Tron Intellivision trilogy would be Tron and Tron Mazatron, neither of which I really know much about. If anyone has any thoughts about the other parts of the trilogy, let me know. The NCOM 511 computer. Center of the most calculating intelligence on Earth. Within it, there exists an unknown civilization where man has never been. A startling new world where time and distance defy the laws of logic. Tron the Movie also came out in 82. It was written and directed by Steven Lisberger from a story by Lisberger and Bonnie McBeard. The film starred, of course, Jeff Bridges, Bruce Boxleitner, David Warner, Cindy Morgan, and Barnard Hughes. Bridges played Tevin Flynn, a computer programmer and video game developer who was transported inside the software world of a mainframe computer where he interacts with, a program, with programs in his attempt to escape. The inspiration dated back to 76 when Lisberger became intrigued with video games after seeing Pong. He and producer David Kushner set up an animation studio to develop Tron with the intention of making it an animated film. Indeed, to promote the studio itself, Lisberger and his team created a 30-second animation featuring the first appearance of the title character. But eventually they decided to include live-action elements, using both backlit and computer animation for the actual feature-length film. Various films had rejected the storyboards for the film before Disney Productions agreed to finance and distribute it. And that's where the backlit animation was combined with the computer animation and live action. The film was a moderate success at the box office, received positive reviews, praising the groundbreaking visuals and acting, but the storyline was criticized as being incoherent. It did get nominated for some costume and sound awards. It got the Academy Award for Technical Achievement 14 years later. Over time, the film developed into a cult film, spawning a franchise consisting of video games, comic books, and an animated television series. 
A sequel titled Tron Legacy, directed by Joseph Kaczynski, was released on December 17, 2010, with Bridges and Boxlight reprising their roles, followed by the animated series Tron Uprising, set between the two films. Tron, along with The Last Starfighter, has the distinction of being one of cinema's earliest films to use extensive computer-generated imagery. It grossed $4 million on its opening weekend, went on to gross $33 million in the U.S. and Canada, $17 million overseas. It was the highest, Disney's highest-grossing live-action film for five years. In addition, the film had $70 million in wholesale merchandise sales. It gets a 6.8 out of 10 rating on IMDb and some pretty good reviews. Trapped inside an electronic arena where love... Escape. Do not compute. The journey begins across an electronic sea on cycles made of light. its world this summer. You know what else is a moderate success with pretty good reviews? The show. Now excuse me while I get sucked into the uh, computer, because after the break, we find out if our discs are silent but deadly. Tron, Deedly Dicekiz. Wait, sorry. I think that actually says Tron, Deadly Discs. A little confused because the movie was Tron. I don't think Deadly Disc was in the title. I'm very confused. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, the standard opening screen here with all the little colored bars at the top. I don't know why they do that. Unless to show off uh, in 1981 that they had color TV. Not sure. Uh, copyright 1981 from Mattel, of course. Uh, this one's unusual for the games we've done on the show because it says copyright 1981 Disney. I assume because uh, Tron was a Disney movie and uh, of course Disney likes to get its name wherever it can. Uh, as I speak, the name Disney is crawling up my arms and out of my ears just by because I'm mentioning the game. It's a little creepy. Uh, hopefully it will not stop any vital bodily functions. Alright, let's play the game. Here we go. That's me, I'm the red guy. Shooting the yellow disc, which is more of a square, but you know. That guy didn't hold still for me. We're looking at, I don't know, kind of looks like a racquetball court, maybe. Ow. Um, there's three doors at the top. There's uh, some guys that I think the manual describes as blue. I'm uh, getting killed a lot here because I'm trying to talk to you as I play. Um, Mando describes the bad guys as blue. They kind of look more purple on my screen. Um, and my guy actually looks more orange. I think he's described as red in the manual. Um, I'm not doing very well because uh, I'm trying to talk to you. I got a shot off there. I always forget to block, and it's a little weird that they don't tell you when you've lost a life, but every time you get hit with one of the uh, enemy discs, see I just lost another guy, you're losing a life, even though you can't really tell on screen. Hey, I got one. I really did do better before I started recording. Um, this is, I think, the fastest speed. I didn't set a speed when I started the game. Supposedly you can pick three levels. When I've tried to pick levels before, 
it just made the game go slower, like really slow. Um, this is a moderate speed. I think it picks up as you go. as the kids call it. Uh, back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre, from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned devilish breakfast food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a Dakota ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you like to get your books. Not cereal. Here's the thing about Tron Deadly Discs. I'm not a huge Tron fanatic. I have not seen Tron Legacy. I didn't see the original Tron until maybe a year ago. Henry and I sat down and watched it because it's a classic, of course. So I decided, oh, we should watch that. So we did, and it was fine. Um, I certainly get why 1982 was probably amazing, an amazing thing to watch uh, as far as a uh, you know, technical achievement. But the movie itself, I guess, maybe having the benefit of 40 years of computer um, computers being a thing in society. Since then, I guess the movie didn't grab me the way it might have in 82. I don't know why I didn't see it in 82, but I don't think I did. Uh, and I never played any of the, the Tron games until now, I don't think. But I kind of like this one. It feels to me, although it's not a, a good comparison probably, it feels to me a little bit like playing Berserk for the 2600, but with the baseball players from the television baseball game. One of the reviewers referred to the, the standard in television running man, and yeah, that's who you've got. That's who your guy is in this game. And he does just that. He runs, and it looks good. The basically souped-up game of racquetball that you're playing looks pretty good. It's a fun game. I would play it some more, and that is the uh, the benchmark for a good video game, I suppose. So that's all good. I really have no complaints. I would keep playing. I don't know that it really feels very Tron-y to me. It could be any sort of, you know, like I said, any sort of uh, space racquetball. You could call it that, and it would still be a good comparison. If there was some way that you could get out of the computer simulation, like in the movie, or something, maybe then it would have more of a Tron connection. But as it is, the game's fine. No complaints. If you guys want to make me feel more excited or less excited about the game, reach out in any one of the ways that are available to you to do that. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled, Deadly Discs, 
A Steve Stetson, 1980 Super Spy, Adventure. Steve Stetson, 1980 Super Spy, wades into the crud marketplace. Where is it? It has to be here somewhere. He must find it. The crowd parts. In the open space between the onlookers, Steve sees it and grins. He approaches the sheet of cardboard on the ground and waits. Scanning the crowd, Stetson sees his prey. From the inside pocket of his jacket, he produces a collapsible boombox, expands it, and hits play. Hit it! It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. Blares from the speakers. Wilkins! Stetson shouts. It Takes Two! Let's dance! Stetson gets on the cardboard dance floor and executes a few squats and crossovers. He glides easily into a handstand freeze before erupting into handstand kicks and becoming airborne. Legs scissoring to the beat, Stetson homes in on Wilkins in the crowd, taking him down. And that's how the President of the United States was saved from being assassinated. Sunlight glints off the clear plastic cases holding row upon row of compact discs. One man stands alone among the music delivery devices in a finely tailored suit, and a ball cap turned backwards on his head. That's what cool kids hanging around the record shop do, right? His angular features could charm the security tag off even a disc with ten parental advisory stickers. He is Steve Stetson, super spy. He loves kicking ass and taking names, most of which he forgets. But more than that, he loves his tunes. Chopin waltzes! Stetson shouts, stunned, eliciting a dirty look from the woman watching a loud video on her phone. Stetson looks over the woman's shoulder at her phone screen. Wow, how'd he get that in there? The woman glares at Stetson and walks away. Stetson's used to that. He goes back to the stacks of CDs. The greatest TV commercials of all time, he mutters, taken aback. This was a good day to shop. He reads a list of tracks. They've even got a Mr. Whipple medley. Can I help you find something? A deep voice intones. Stetson turns toward the voice, his eyes widening a little. The man is tall, face layered in seemingly pounds of pancake makeup, dull eyes peering at him from within the mounds of powder. The faintest hint of a mustache manages to break through, like crabgrass in a crack in the parking lot of a defunct blockbuster in Albuquerque on a steamy Tuesday afternoon. Do I... know you? Stetson asks. The off-putting visage was familiar, the voice even more so. You once imprisoned me in a tomb with only spiders and dust for company, the deep-voiced man says. Stetson scrunches up his face. You're going to have to be more specific. The man sighs and points at the name tag on his chest. Stetson reads, Hi, my name is Bart. How may I help you? The realization shows one butt cheek, but stops short of the full Monty. You can tell me what you did with my fleet of Portuguese water dogs. Realization full Monty's right up in Stetson's face. Oh, Bart, that's right. How have you been? Sorry about the dogs. First, I was near death. Thank you for that. Since then, semi-employed mostly, Bart says. How many employers want to form a megalomaniacal supervillain in their employ? You got this gig. The beatbox is the second best music store in town. That's something, Stetson says. Hey, you know where the Lawrence Welk Unplugged CDs are? Bart ignores him. The fringe benefits in particular are wonderful. Oh, such as? You, Bart says simply. Pardon? Stetson says. I knew one day you'd come in looking for elevator music or something. Well, I get bored riding up to the penthouse, Stetson says. And I vowed to be waiting when you come in, Bart says. Also, the store offers an employee discount. Stetson holds out the basket with his purchases in it. Can you pick these up for me? I'll pay you back. I'd rather kill you, Bart says. The manager calls over. 
what have I told you about threatening to kill the customers, Bart? Bart just laughs. A renowned opera singer, in town for a car show appearance, glides past and Bart snatches the cape from his shoulders, draping it around his own. The simple act invigorates Bart. A luxurious beard breaks through the makeup, piercing blue eyes penetrating the gloom as a small cloud of powder comes to rest over the CDs. Hands disappear under the cape. Bart reaches behind his back. When I was entombed, thanks to you, with no Wi-Fi, I had only the memory of my daughters to sustain me. Two young women glide up beside Bart, dressed head to toe in compact discs. Stetson finds it kind of hot, especially the B-52s. Allow me to introduce my girls, the discettes. The discs on the women's outfits start spinning. Again, hot. Stetson can't lie. Everyone stay calm, Stetson calls to an increasingly concerned shopping crowd. Bart's hands emerge from the cape, a CD in each hand, spinning the discs on his fingers like donut day at the office. Stetson was hungry. You may call me, Bart says, deadly discs. No thanks, Stetson says. The women's disc outfits burst into flames. They don't seem to mind. Never mind what I said earlier about not panicking, Stetson says. Run. The discs in Bart's hands also burst into flames. He flings one to the left and the other to the right. The store quickly erupts in flames. Stetson aims a punch squarely in the spot where Bart's nose should be buried. A great woof of powder and a grunt tells him he's hit pay dirt. Stetson flees the burning building, snagging a CD as he runs. Billy Joel's 52nd Street! Yes! The building was a loss. It was, perhaps, the day the music died. Or was it? Stetson admits himself to the office of Commander Matty Grimm. Matty, he shouts, I want to show you my discs. The commander doesn't look up from the GoPro she's fashioning into a delivery system for a suppository harpoon. You can't do that anymore, Stetson, she says. We sent you to a seminar about that. Stetson pauses, then waves his hand, dropping the shopping bag. No, no, I was CD shopping. I know, we're being sued by the city for the fire you started at the beatbox. I didn't cause it, Bart caused it. Bart? From the catacombs affair? Grimm says. Tombs, not catacombs, Stetson says. You're thinking of Mark the Mole. Right, Commander Grimm says. So what is Bart's plan? Stetson shrugs. Well, he's deadly discs now. I guess he wants to control the world's music. Write the death dirge for the human race. Burn the CD of existence, even as humanity burns, or something. Commander Grimm's snorts and wheezes in something approaching laughter. It looks painful. Stetson pats his pockets to see if perhaps he has a lozenge. Grimm composes herself, though it's difficult to see the difference, and says, Bart, or deadly discs, is off the mark on this one. What do you mean? Grimm hold, holds up her phone, quickly turning the front side towards Stetson, hoping he didn't notice the sunflower and kitty cat on the case. Stetson, no one listens to music on CD anymore. Stetson is a little taken aback, slowly pushes his shopping bag to the side. It's all digital now, virtual, Grimm says. No music on CDs? Stetson says. Well, I haven't had anything physical to hold on to in years, Grimm says. I believe that, Stetson says, pausing for the laugh track he always vaguely expects, but which never quite appears. Anyway, you're saying CDs are, like, obsolete. Grimm finally looks up, regards Stetson for a beat. Among other things, that's it then, Stetson says and bolts from the office. He's an idiot, Grimm mutters. <laughs> the jukebox dynamo, across town from the charred remains of the beatbox, is the premier physical music purveyor in town. Stetson knows that's where the deadly discs would have his lair. The discettes meet Stetson at the door. Would you like to karaoke kill? They ask in unison, discs spinning in perfect harmony. A passing henchman uses one of the spinning discs to open a can of peas. I'm good, thanks, Stetson says. Throat's a bit scratchy. Where is he? The women part, then point to the area of the store between the racks of music where one electric guitar and a boxed portable record player sit for sale. Deadly discs, spinning discs of flame whirling about his head, stands waiting. Whether to make a sale or wipe out humanity is unclear. Stetson approaches his enemy. Put those away, he says. There's a fire code. With a quick puff to the left and then one to the right, Deadly Disc extinguishes the flames. How'd you know I wasn't dead? He asks Stetson. The music never dies, Stetson says. Deadly Disc nods. Only, sometimes it does, Stetson says. Deadly Disc regards him, bemused. I don't need to stop you from destroying the world, Stetson says. Um... Thank you? 
Deadly Disc says. You're welcome, Stetson responds. Deadly Disc hurls a volley of death diameters at the store's patrons. You sure about that? Stetson pulls a universal remote from his pocket and the disc clatter to the floor. Everyone's safe. No, Stetson says, I don't need to stop you because, well, you're pointless. He pushes a button on the remote and a song begins playing on the store's speakers. Duran Duran's Electric Barbarella, Stetson says. The internet's first ever digital music sale. And the end of you. Deadly Disc covers his ears. He is, at heart, still Bart, the common criminal trapped alone in a silent tomb. The barrage of noise is deafening to his quiet, conditioned ears. The customers flee with their vinyl and DVD purchases. No CDs. Stetson quietly slips earplugs into his ears as he cranks a dial on his remote. The building shakes from the pounding tune. One of the diskettes pops like corn. The other bounces off the walls like a screeching Super Bowl. Last chance, Bart, Stetson calls over the din. Give up? The world is mine, Bart says, defiant, but his discs refuse to fire. Damn it! Happens to everyone, Stetson says. As Duran Duran's performance crescendoed, Bart, deadly discs, would be emperor of the world, explodes in a rainbow of blood and viscera. Steve Stetson sits straight up on his couch, awakened by the abrupt end of the CD he hadn't actually been listening to. Dreams, he muttered. I was dreaming. At least I'm not obsolete. The pager on his belt beeps. It's a message from Commander Grimm. No, but you are an idiot. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable... William Pepper, and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the vertical blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. Big thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme and the Jason Says Stuff theme. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, or really anywhere that you get podcasts, and leave a five-star review of this show. It's like music to my ears, and like a parade down Main Street, attracting the attention of all the the listeners lined lined up alongside the road, waiting to hear a new podcast. And you can summon them to this one. So, thanks for that. Email the show at uh, ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. That would be Atari Bytes. Follow the show at Atari Bytes on Twitter. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. You can also look us up on Instagram. You can also call us too. I'm not going to answer the phone. It's nothing personal. But I would be happy to take a message from you at 563-265-1978. Leave a message about pretty much anything you want. And I'll probably play it on the show. Check out the website too, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com. All one word, a bunch of words smashed together actually. And you will find stuff, information and links for this show, for my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, social media stuff, uh, information about other things that I've done, including books that I've written, like Hell's Serial, very short stories fortified with essential syllables. A uh, short story collection of stories that you may have heard if you've been listening to the show for a while. Uh, all spruced up and in print form, slapped between a, between a cover. It's a thing of beauty. And other books, too, over there, as, long, as well as links to some of the places that you can pick up those books. So thank you for that. You can also help keep the lights on here at the podcast by signing up at the Atari Bytes Patreon page. Uh, Atari Bytes has a page on patreon.com where you can... Pick a level to uh, subscribe at, and depending what that level is, you might get stuff, including bonus content. That's right, more of me. If that's not an incentive to give money, I don't know what it is. Um, you can also hang out with these fine folks, to whom, to whom I am greatly indebted. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Pat- Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., and Jason Schiffman. All right, that's about it, except for programming message that we need to that I need to share. First, we're sad that this is the end of Intellivision Month. Ah! But happy 
that we go back to our Atari next episode. Yay! But the way we go back is going to be a little different. This show debuted with episode zero, sort of a, a preview of what the podcast was going to be, on January 18th, 2016, with episode uh, one following on January 24th. Um, I've done 283 episodes since January of 2016 to date, and have only missed one week in five and a half years, uh, roughly. As you know, if you've listened to the show for a while, it bugs the hell out of me that I missed one week. Um, but I did, and only one week in five and a half years, which has been awesome, but also really time-consuming. I do another podcast, which I mention every week. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, which takes up a lot of my time. I have a day job. Believe it or not, I'm not getting wealthy off of doing this podcast. Uh, and I have family, and I have uh, also other things that I've been wanting to do, that I've been trying to do amongst the podcast and all of that, but just keep getting pushed off. So not shutting the doors on the podcast. The podcast isn't going away. But I am going to be, for the foreseeable future, changing the production schedule. Instead of a weekly show, for the time being, Atari Bytes is going to be a bi-weekly show. Right now, uh, a lot of you are cheering. Thank God, finally! But I know that some of you are probably not thrilled about that, and I'm sorry. But going to every other week is going to free up just a little bit of time. One, it's going to, frankly, I think it might make a better show. Because as it is, I never stop production on the podcast. I I don't ever have a break on production of this podcast. By the time you're hearing this, I've already written and very possibly have already recorded the next one. And the same deal with the one after that. Uh, I don't ever get a breather between episodes. And I'm hoping that maybe by inserting a breather uh, a week in there when I'm not working on, actively working on this podcast, I have a little more time to let things percolate in my head as far as what I want to say about a game, as far as the story that I want to write. And I think it might make, uh, although I think the show's, if I say so myself, the show's pretty good as it is, having a little extra breathing room, even though it's less episodes, might make better episodes. The other thing it's going to do is it's going to free up some time for me to do some of these other things that I want to do, which ultimately may take longer to come out. It's not going to be a weekly production, but it'll be other things that I think you might like as well. So more stuff from me, different stuff from me that I think you might like. I hope that you guys will stick with the show. You're going to have to remember, you know, keep keep the show in your feed. Episodes are still going to come out. It's just going to be every other week instead of weekly. So keep listening, keep writing in. That's the other nice thing, doing it this way. You're going to have more time for to send me feedback uh, between episodes. So that'll be cool, and I hope you take advantage of that. You patrons, you're going to get less show for your money, and I'm sorry about that. But like I said, I think you might get better show, so I hope you stick with me. I hope you tell your friends to stick with me. Um, I hope we're just all happy, sticky people. Ew, that sounds weird. Anyway. So that's what we're doing um, for now. Maybe someday I'll change it again. I don't know. But I've, I've been thinking about doing this for a while, and I kept putting it off. And finally I was like, you know what? This other stuff I need to do isn't doing itself. So uh, I just got to make this happen. So uh, that's the deal. So instead of next Sunday, I mean, next weekend is a holiday weekend anyway. So in a way, this is kind of a good time to start this if I'm going to. So... No new episode on July 4. The next episode will debut on July 11th. And it will be an Atari game. We're going back to the 2600. And we're going to play Zaxxon. Which I was stunned to realize I hadn't done on the show before. It had been on my list for a while. I think just recently I picked up the cartridge. Which is what reminded me of it again. So I'm kind of excited to do that. Zaxxon is one of those well-known names. In video games. So I'm excited to do that. If you guys have thoughts about Zaxxon, send them anytime, of course. But I will probably be recording this the week of the 4th. So would be my guess uh, is when I'll record it. I'll probably, yeah, probably. I uh, don't really know for sure. But you probably have, you're, it's probably safe to say you've got a week in here uh, from the time the episode you're hearing right now is going out to get me some comments to insert in the episode, the Zaxxon episode itself. If for some reason your comment comes after the episode is in the can, don't sweat it, which I've always said, don't sweat it. 
I will include it in the next episode. No biggie. All right. Well, that's about it. So until next time, July 11th, go play some old games. They've missed you.